This is Jessica Pate, your host for Brave Together podcast. I am here to serve, encourage, and inspire you in your journey as a special needs mom. This is your tribe. This is your community, your place to be reminded that you are not alone. Please follow along as I share stories, inspiration, and resources just for you. I first heard Dr. Tara Regan on another podcast and tucked it away that I absolutely had to have her as a guest on our podcast because she is a sibling who has risen up to do fantastic work. Dr. Tara Regan is the oldest sister to two brothers on the autism spectrum and has been in the autism field for over a decade. She loves integrating all that she's learned across disciplines, social work, special ed, and more into thinking about adulthood, the lifespan, and ways to support the autism community. Dr. Regan founded Autism Grown Up in 2018 in response to seeing her brothers and so many others grow up without the resources and supports they need. Prior to starting this organization, Dr. Regan has been an autism researcher and instructor working with future educators and professionals, community organizations, and schools. And we'll make sure that we have all her links in our show notes. I can't wait for you to meet her, and I'm definitely inspired by her. Hi, friends. Welcome to today's episode of Brave Together with Dr. Tara Regan. We're going to dive right in and we're going to hear her story and hear about her wonderful work. Hi, Tara. Hey, Jessica. So great to chat with you today. Thank you. Thanks for being here. So tell us your family story. Oh, boy. Um, (laughs) Uh, So I am the oldest of four kids in my family, and um, I have two brothers on the autism spectrum. Uh, I will be, FYI, will be kind of going back and forth between on the spectrum and other languages like autistic, just because it's used by a lot of self-advocates and preferred. So I just wanted to give that as a heads up as I'm going through. And then I have a sister in the middle there, actually very close as a family. And I took a lot of like caregiving role of the role early on. Um, My brother, Tyler, uh, he's two years younger than me. And then he's 28 right now. And then Tanner is eight years or nine years younger than me. And he's 21. And they are both now adults, obviously. But before that, uh, I spend a lot of time in their classrooms just by supporting them. Uh, Whether that was like, if I was in the same school as them, it just tended to be that I found my way in their group just to support their teacher somehow or something came up and they had questions. And so I was just always like the eager sister to be involved that way. And that really shaped what I was interested in doing. It really made me think, okay, maybe special education is a route. What is the autism field look like? And in that way, I kind of like dip my hands into a bunch of different fields. And so I'm now like an interdisciplinary person years and years later. Uh, my PhD is in special education. Um, my master's is in social work. And I studied psychology. I've been a direct care professional for over 10 years. And actually work with my brothers now after they got off the Medicaid waiver waitlist. So I provide a lot of their direct care support now is a really fun role to be in. And I also worked at a camp for individuals on the autism spectrum 
called Camp Royal based here in North Carolina where we live and gained so much experience working with like over hundreds of campers on the autism spectrum. So I got to see the lifespan, the um, support needs, the individuals, and I just fell in love with like the field that way. And I was like, this feeling and philosophy of camp is kind of what I want to pursue for my work. And that came up again um, when I was working on my PhD and that led to creating this nonprofit that I'm part of Autism Grown Up. And so tell us the mission of your nonprofit organization. Yes. So we are all about getting everyone on the same page when it comes to resources for growing up and navigating the lifespan. And a lot of that is thinking about transition to adulthood, but we also want to think about what does life look like before that and after that, because there's so many transitions in between. And there's lots of scattered information across sites. So we wanted to get everyone together on the same page about that. Okay. I have so many questions. Okay. Where do I begin? So we're going to go back to your family story. You use the word eager. You were eager to help out, help out with your brothers and to take on that role. So I just had my daughter on, on the podcast, sharing the sibling perspective. She's uh, almost 16. And at the time of the recording, I should say, and, you know, we tried not to have her be a second mother in the family. But she ended up feeling that way anyway, you know, even though we were trying not to. And some of that is great and some of that is hard. So we're trying to undo some of it, right? Do you remember having conversations with your parents about your role in the family? Did you take it on because you felt like you should because or because you were told like, we need your help. We are a big family. We've got two kids here with special needs. And a lot going on and everybody just pitches in like how did that formulate for you or as much as you can reflect yeah I love that you have that conversation with your daughter probably on a continual basis because things change over time we didn't have that conversation until maybe I was in college or so Uh, so it took a really long time and I think it was because we were so much ingrained in the day-to-day like how do we get to the next moment you know it's such a big family there's a lot going on we're a loud big family and at the same time we're also shaped by my dad we're a military family he was in the Air Force for 20 years and Right when my youngest siblings were born, or like a little bit after that, he was deployed uh, to do um, to Kuwait and Saudi Arabia, two different years. And so I was like nine, 10 years old, and I had to like come in and step in. But like, I just remember going in and being a part of it and wanting to. And it really, I have a lot of memories of like times before that, where I was at that time period, I think I would have even said, I'm so selfish. I just focus on myself. And it was just my brother, Tyler and me. And sure. I helped with things here and there with him. But when my youngest two siblings got in the picture, I was kind of at that age where I was a little bit more aware of family dynamics and just wanted to be as supportive as possible Mm -hmm. to make things seem a little bit easier for everybody. (laughs) Right. And that's not all bad. I mean, I think for the siblings, even though it's a challenging family story, there's so much strength, resilience, and maturity 
that does develop that is a blessing. Those are great traits, the grit, the um, I serve others, you know, sort of heart and compassion, like all of those are so good. So it's not like we want to just prevent all participation because that's family anyway, right? We all contribute. We all do chores. We all, you know, have roles that we play. We just want to make sure, I guess, that we're communicating about that. And it sounds like you did at some point talk about it with your parents. Yes. Yeah. Especially as my sister left the house and it was just my brothers and my parents and their kind of experiences right now. And probably for the next while is that they experience the expectation is my brothers are going to be living with them Mm -hmm. forever or maybe an extended period of time. So a lot of the things that I've just been doing are just kind of supporting them with strategies and ideas, supporting them with the transition back to their day program now that that's reopened and trying to just like push them to find more um, and support my brother's independence. So in a way, I've kind of been practicing my own self-advocacy that way. And really encouraging my parents to seek outside help from others, um, not just me, but ways to how they can engage with the system around them. And you're right, though, too, like, I never want to devalue someone that's like, wanting to just have their own time away from their siblings and pursue their own identity. Like, I think that's really important. And I think this just kind of meshed well with my own personal identity. I couldn't see it any other way for myself. And I did have that time away from in college for myself where I got to do my own thing. And my parents now, we've had more conversations about the future in terms mm-hmm. of what are the expectations after they pass away. I don't know, when we were going through the day program process, my mom and I were both feeling very nervous about and what the situation would look like there. Would it be safe for my brothers? Um, she was not feeling very optimistic about it and uh, had a lot of doubts. And so I actually started looking at what it takes to open a day program. I was like, ah, maybe I'll open one, who knows? But my dad kind of sat me down. He's like, you do not also need to do this. Because you're, you're certainly doing a lot. Yeah, I am. What? A lot. Oh my gosh, so much. Okay, so you've had 10 years in this field. What is mm-hmm. something that if you could sit down with moms who have just been handed the diagnosis or parents that have just been handed the diagnosis, what is something that you would share? Yeah. So I actually still get this question, even though like our website is for usually like older and later in life, but I still have a lot of parents are like, we just got this diagnosis and they're like, so forward thinking. They're like, what does adulthood look like for my son or daughter? Uh, And ultimately I would just encourage them to seek out other people in your community, other parents in a maybe a variety of different types of groups, whether that is like a special needs support group, because that's a variety of experiences there, or an autism support group. There are a lot of them. And I think that's like the main place where you can get support. You can connect with others because parents, you're feeling isolated right now. You feel Mm -hmm. like when you're receiving the diagnosis, you don't know what this may look like for you, your family, And you may not know if any other family's going through this situation. So it can feel really isolating. Yes. Yes. I think that's excellent advice. 
So my son is 18 now. And I, I was told a couple of years ago when I went to this uh, workshop that we put on by a seasoned mom about life after high school and how turning 18 feels like you're getting the diagnosis all over again, because there's just a lot of logistics and hoops to jump through. And it's a big change. We're going through a conservatorship right now with Ryan. When people think about the transition to adulthood, when parents do, and it feels like the black abyss, what what would you share? What encouragement or practical steps would you share? Yeah, I mean, like you said, that's such an interesting kind of connection between like feeling like you're having to go through the whole diagnosis piece again, because oftentimes... Uh, and we can relate to this and all the families I've worked with can also just share that like, once you are like senior year of high school, you're like 17 going on 18, all of a sudden your teacher, students, your child's teachers are like, Hey, by the way, this is happening next year. Um, Here's sometimes they'll give you a great list of community connections. Sometimes they don't know. And it's kind of, you're left to your own devices again to have to figure it out. So we have some checklists on our website uh, related to like, like concrete steps for reaching out for adult services in your community. And that's our adult services toolkit, just kind of answering questions because that has like a huge cloud of mystery around it. Like adult mm-hmm. services and the community-based services. Yes. Yes. Not a lot of accessible and available information. And oftentimes we just don't know where to start. Uh, so I would encourage families just kind of start there as soon as they possibly are thinking about adulthood. Because the just the earlier you think about it, the easier the transition will feel for you. And it won't mm-hmm. feel so like, whoosh, all of a sudden adulthood right. is here. Tara, you've developed these toolkits. Yes. So the toolkits are part of our Lifespan Toolbox collection, uh, our free resource library, essentially. And these are a variety of toolkits uh, centered on topics related to the lifespan, things that we often get questions about, things that we've had to navigate and put together in one spot. So, And then we keep it updated, too. So you get your toolkit on friendships, on self-advocacy, the adult services one is there is there as well and personal care we have over 10 of them available right now and we are continually adding them over time and they're just great places to start with checklists they answer commonly held questions and they give you current resources that will give you what you need to go to next oh wow that sounds so resourceful how do people find those yeah, good question. So they can go to our website. Um, everything that I'm mentioning to you that we have is housed on our website. And that is autism grown up, like grownups.com. And then you'll see like the toolkit tab on the top and you can just click through to that. Fantastic. Oh, I cannot wait to tell the moms of We Are Brave because I know that it's, there are things in there that will benefit moms who have adult children with other diagnoses. They're still. Yeah you know, tools that we can all, we can all use. So. Yeah. That's a great thing to point out too. Yeah. Because this isn't just for like children on the autism spectrum. This is for any individual with a disability or Mm -hmm. special needs. If you could dream big for adults with autism or on the spectrum or adults with special needs in general, you could wave a magic wand and either 
fix a broken system or create something that meets a need, what would you like to do? What, what do you wish you could do? I wish I could change attitudes towards autism on the community-based level. So that's talking about employers, that's talking about peers, neighbors, anybody else in the community that's not like outside of your central family unit or your own personal community, just to focus on increasing acceptance there and understanding and flexibility. Uh, The neurotypical community at large, I guess I'll say, (laughs) I wish I could provide them the education and support and maybe mindset change that's more supportive of autistics needs. Mm -hmm. It's just so limiting. Like we will do such a good job. Like our teachers will do such a great job trying to prepare our students for adulthood. But then a lot of times those adulthood areas are not coming up to meet us in the middle. Uh, Like we can work on vocational skills all day long, but if a employer is not going to be flexible in their accommodations, then what are we going to do? That is such an excellent point. It's not just all the work that we need to do on our end right? and the supports that are there helping our kids get to those employment situations or those um, program situations or college situations that are modified for kids on the spectrum or kids, adults with needs, but Yeah, I really, that's an excellent point. It's a really excellent point. Yeah, I feel like we do, we do so much work on our end. We do amazing work and it doesn't reach where we wanted to go if the neurotypical community is not going to meet us in the middle. Mm -hmm. What have you found in your work that is working well? What have you seen that, gosh, if there were more of these in every state, this would really help? Hmm. I do see a lot of really great work-based education programs popping up because they do a really great job of talking to both parties, like working and training employers that are ready for change. And then also having a group of future autistic employees who are ready to go. And I've talked with that one group called Spectrum Works, and I think they're based out of New York area, but they've been trying to expand with COVID. They've done a lot more virtual trainings and virtual connections, and I think they do a really great job there. Uh, another one is Project Search, and that's based out of uh, Virginia. I think I want to say I'm blanking on the name of the university of uh, VCU uh, in Richmond. They uh, have a I also love reading into and seeing research being thrown into these programs to show everyone what's working and what's not working. And I think they do a really great job there and they're trying to expand it. They typically work in hospitals, trying to link high school students with jobs and getting them in the hospital those last two years of high school and then transitioning to a job, perhaps still in the hospital or just in a different spot. Yeah, so some really great work-based programs are out there. And is there anything that you would like to tell us about your work that I haven't asked that just brings you joy, that fills you up, that that you would like to share about autism grown up? One thing I'm really loving is we're working on curriculum for general education and special 
special educators across elementary through high school and transition age programming on peer and social groups. So we we're um, re-energizing the social skills group phenomenon to be more focused on teaching and training peers to be supportive peer partners to an, a student with a disability. And so this curriculum, which is going to be coming out so soon, is just to be training teachers to be facilitators of these groups. Oh, that's great. So the next step is then shopping it to school districts so that they can implement this. Yes. So great. Well, make sure when you're ready, you tell, tell me so I can talk to our people in our school district as well. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. That would be great. What advice do you have for siblings? Yeah, I just always want to encourage siblings. It's always really interesting because in a variety of environments that I'm in, whether it's like a running club or I'm at a show with a friend, a sibling will come up to me and we'll just like somehow will come up very quickly. We just kind of like gravitate to each other. Encourage people, siblings to find other siblings to talk to. I think that support element is always really great just share experiences because your experience growing up is so different from other siblings with just a neurotypical family um and then you get to kind of treasure that experience a little bit more and think about how unique it was and how meaningful your experience growing up was um yeah so just kind of find your other sibling friend out there if you don't already have one I agree I think it's so necessary I don't I don't think they necessarily even know what they need until they attend the first time any type of sibling group. And then it's like this giant exhale. Oh, just like it is for moms, right? Just like it is for parents to get together with other people who get it is, you know, the phrase I always say. And I don't think they even realize they need it until they're with other people who get it. Yeah, yeah, it's so eye-opening, and siblings tend to be overlooked as a group, but they're still very involved, and Mm -hmm. they need a support group, too. How do you keep your energy and optimism? It's a tough one, especially (laughs) these days when I don't have an outlet, because my answer would be try to find an outlet outside of the work you're doing. I've always had that, even in grad school. That was like the one the one thing I have that kind of lets you compartmentalize a little bit, but you kind of just get to work through things, maybe processing or just taking a break. And I always, so I always used to do improv. Um, I was very involved in improv in my community. And so, yeah, I just kind of took classes and then started doing shows. And that's just always been my thing. I love it. Oh my gosh. That's so fantastic. And I'm so happy that you discovered a passion that you love and it's such a great outlet. And it brings back to my family too at times. It's really fun for us to connect that way. I mean, like it helps us too when we have these intense conversations because they tend to funnily happen like on Thanksgiving morning or like Christmas <laughs> day. We're like, why are we here having this conversation? <laughs> so we kind of get to laugh about how morbid we are getting on this celebratory day. Right. Oh my gosh. So have you brought material 
to your improv from family stuff? I think I've done a lot of like mom characters as a result because I just love the way my mom does things too. And so I think just bringing that groundedness always helps me out. So sweet. I bet she's so proud of you, Tara. So proud. Thanks. I hope so. Oh, <laughs> she always how could she not? Oh my gosh, I'm going to cry. Oh, so well, I just appreciate your heart and your hard work. And it's not easy growing up as a sibling and you've ris- risen up beautifully. So give yourself a lot of credit. Remember that. Write it on a post-it note. Jessica said, give myself a lot of credit on the hard days because it's it's really remarkable and it is to be celebrated. I so appreciate that. I love that. And the same thing for you. Definitely. Thank you. Will. Absolutely. Thank you so much for being on the show, doing Thank all that you do. You. Keep going. We need you. <laughs> Before we go, I want to take a moment to thank our sponsor, BetterHelp. If you've been listening to this podcast or following me for a while, you know how important my mentors have meant to me and how much I value therapy for self-care and healing. These important people have been my rocks through thick and thin since my journey with Ryan started back in 2003. BetterHelp is a professional online therapy and counseling service which gives you secure, personalized help when you need it. They offer their counseling and therapy sessions through video, text messaging, and phone calls, making it easy to fit into your busy schedule. They know that not everyone's struggles and needs are the same, and that's why within just a few days of signing up, BetterHelp will assess your specific needs and goals and match you with a real-life counselor focused on helping you along your personal journey. I love their platform because it really puts a focus on accessibility and personalization, and they do also offer financial aid services. So if you've been unsure about seeking out therapy or help, this is a great way to test the waters. I will leave all the details in the show notes, and you can access our link for 10% off your first month at www.betterhelp.com backslash we are brave together. Thanks for listening to today's show, my friends, and please spread the word about the podcast and spread the word about We Are Brave Together. Tell your mom friends that we have a chair waiting for them, that this sisterhood and tribe is here to support them and validate them and encourage them and empower them and educate them and just give them the inspiration and resources that they need for life in the trenches of motherhood. If you are listening to this podcast and you have not yet joined the community, please go to wearebravetogether.com, fill out the little pop-up form, and you will be on our email list. You'll get our newsletters and our resources. And we also have a Facebook group, a secret status Facebook group. So that means you can't find it. You have to join We Are Brave Together to make that happen. And we would love to have you be a part of that. The Facebook group is such a great place to connect online across the world. Literally, we are an international community and it's a place to ask questions. It's a place to vent about your day, to share a triumph, to seek resource, to share a book or a podcast or an article that really meant a lot to you or was helpful to you or inspirational to you. We 
share so much in the Facebook group. So it is a great place to meet up. As always, remember, remember, you are not alone.